Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Podcast. It's your host Will. I'm joined here by my co-host Jaron. What is up, guys? After the Mavericks Media Day the other day, we are going to be getting into the rest of our player previews finishing up, and we're going to be covering the um first day of training camp for the Mavericks. The Mavericks had their first day of training camp um on Tuesday after Media Day, which was Monday. So we're going to go ahead and get into all that. Just some. Uh, certain quotes we wanted to uh, pull from a couple of players that had interviews and uh, just the uh, highlight tape videos that have everybody hyped for um, no specific reason other than just seeing the Mavericks back. The times are brewing and the season is on the horizon. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, Jaren, so getting into it, just looking at a couple interviews that have kind of circulated here from the last um, day or so from Mavs training camp and some other interviews from Media Day. Um, just first off, um, obviously locked on Mavs to a segment with some of these guys. Um, what were some of your takeaways, if any, from those? Uh, did you find anything new compared to the regular Mavericks press conference um, at the uh, AAC podium? Yeah, you know, honestly, a lot of those – uh, like for locked on, like they're just kind of lighthearted um, interviews. Didn't really, I guess, retract much knowledge from that. But some of the interviews that kind of stuck out were Dorian. Uh, I think Jaden Hardy had a good one. Theo Penson, of course, had a good one. He's always, he's always living up. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Dorian, you know, he's always preaching effort and preaching getting better every year and confidence. And I, I think that's something that definitely sticks with young guys like Jaden Hardy. Um, yeah, you could tell how confident Jaden Hardy was, especially in some of these interviews, you know, saying, you know, obviously, you know, some of the things he may be saying are far-fetched, but you just love to see the confidence in a young guy like that. Like, you know, that breeds quality play, even if, you know, it's rational confidence, you know, like what what he said about um, he thought he was the best player in the uh, 2022 NBA draft. Like, you know, quotes like that, even if it's, you know, not true by, um, you know, actual metrics, like it does matter and it is important in my opinion no yeah without doubt um one thing that actually really did stick out to me was this like sort of five on five pickup game that or i don't think it was quite a pickup game but that uh it seemed like the coaching staff and players played for a few days before a uh, media day and it seemed like well a couple of weeks actually it seems like i mean this, i think it was like last like, like two weeks yeah you know barring luca who didn't get here until a day or two before media day it seems as if most of the players and coaches were here kind of playing in involuntary scrimmages and stuff and going at each other. So, you know, it's good to build uh, team chemistry, especially when you have a couple new guys coming in. So I think that definitely helps. Um, so, yeah, that I mean, that's in terms of the uh, locked on interviews. But um, yesterday was actually the first day of training camp. We saw a little uh, highlight reel video. I got everybody hyped up on Twitter from the official Dallas Mavericks account on Twitter. Um, you know, lack of Mavs content of any sort, definitely. We'll get the uh, the pot stirring, even if it's just a little 30-second clip. So it was really cool seeing that. We saw JaVale throw down a lob, um, Christian Wood, Drainus Reed, 
uh, Dwight Powell get mercilessly bodied by Christian Wood. I'm just joking. But uh, no, it was a, uh, so that was kind of cool to see. But um, Davis Bertans and Tyler Dorsey actually had interviews yesterday. Um, they were the two guys that had interviews on the first day of Mount's training camp. Intriguing to see who else gets some because, you know, a couple guys that we really haven't seen too much um, content really breed out from, you know, like a Frank, Frank Nitlakina, Josh Green. I haven't really seen any quotes circulating from them. Was, you know, I did see some Theo Pinson quotes regarding the bench mob and the NBA's new rule. Brad Townsend got into him on that, but, you know, it wasn't really as much about his play. So there's still a couple guys that we're yet to actually hear um, talk and get quotes from. So that'll be interesting to see when those guys go in the whole um, interview circulation that they kind of do between all these players as training camp continues to go here. Um, but first off, starting with the uh, Davis Bertans interview, what did you take from that? Um, you know, I guess Davis is real first um, sort of media presser for the 2022-23 uh, season. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, – like one thing I feel like was important is he kind of preached how, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they're they're returning from last year's team and made it to the Western Conference Finals. And pretty much the whole team got off to a slow start last year. So I think building off that Western Conference Finals is definitely going to build a sort of confidence within this team to kind of make much improvements uh, early in the season compared to last year uh, and look to build upon that. And I, I think Davis Berton made a good point um, about that. I, I don't quite remember what exactly he said, but it was, it was along the lines of, you know, just bringing these guys back, uh, bringing in some newer guys where they had huge holes in last year, like in the center position. And uh, you bring those guys in and, you know, you're now building on a roster that was already a pretty built roster. Uh, of course, I mean, you lose Jalen Brunson, but they're looking for ways to replace that throughout the team, it seems like. Uh, and at least through the Dobbs Bertans interview, it just kind of seemed like, you know, the team is pretty much picking up where they left off. No, 100%. And, like, one thing that you, like, like to hear, you know, whether it be true or not, is, you know, from the Bertans interview, I think he's, like, the only guy um, since media day that's actually came out. And, like, you know, he got asked, like, is this team better than last year's team? And he said, like, definitively, like, yes. I don't think we really heard a quote like that from any of the other returning players. So that was kind of cool to hear. Like, you know, they'll obviously be optimistic. Saying, like, we want to be there. You know, and we have a ways to go. But, you know, Davis came out and said we're, like, definitively better than when he first got here. So that was that was really cool to see. Um, besides that, Davis really didn't get too many questions asked about himself. You know, obviously he played with the Latvian um, national team in Eurobasket. Uh, had a little good run there. You know, talked about – his relationship with KP a little bit. It's kind of, kind of what stuff we've already known that they called each other when they got traded for each other. Um, they had a good time playing in uh, Eurobasket together. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but barring that, um, not too much um, from the novice perspective, but we will get into him and his role later when we do the rest of our player previews on this podcast. Um, kind of segueing um, to the Tyler Dorsey interview. I thought this one was really intriguing. Uh, what main points did you uh, draw from the Tyler Dorsey interview? Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it's been three years since the guy's been in the league. He's getting an opportunity on the Dallas Mavericks, which is, I, I think, a definitive playoff team at least. And uh, he's preaching winning and uh, preaching accountability for himself. Uh, and, you know, just the opportunity was right. Um, you know, he's, he's, of course, given this opportunity on a two-way contract at the moment. Uh, he's on the roster. Um, I, I don't know. One one weird thing to me, or not weird, I guess, but cool thing is, you know, just how much the guy seems like he's matured over these three years from overseas ball. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. I think 
Euro basketball is way different to the NBA just in terms of how they play. Uh, I think that's going to show in this guy's play style. I think he's going to be a much more mature basketball player. Uh, he kind of mentioned how through these three years, he's kind of developed a little bit of a facility, a facilitating game, uh, and also just knowing where to be and when to be. He's, uh, I guess, knowing his role, especially with a ball-dominant guy, you know, playing with Eurobasket, with uh, Giannis, that's definitely a ball-dominant player. You know, knowing knowing where to be and knowing your role with those kind of guys is going to bode well, playing with Luca at least. And, um, you know, it, it, like we said, like it had been three years. Uh, one thing I thought, it was actually really cool to me was uh his his workout with the Mavs was in I guess it was at the time of the um it was in July July summer league yeah and um I guess Greg St. Jean and Nico had flown back or were working out with him or something and uh it seemed like within like three days later he had a, a game for Olympiacos and uh flew back and played that and or that, the Greece national team oh, I was a great okay I didn't yeah, know it was Greece national Olympiacos season was over before the summer yeah, okay. I didn't know it was Greece National, but yeah, it seemed like they he had flown back and then within three days of playing for the national team. And uh I know just time zone wise that can't do your body too well. Um, but you know, I mean opportunity was right. It seemed like uh I mean clearly Nico and Greg, they liked what they saw. And I, I'm actually really intrigued to see what this guy can do. I, I think his game, like I had mentioned before, is is much more mature. Um I wouldn't be surprised to see this guy get some actual minutes in the league. You know, I think what I mainly drew from this um, was that he is definitely a product of knowing his role. Um, you know, a lot of role players don't end up being role players and end up getting out of the league because they try to do things that, you know, are outside of, I guess, their play style or what their cap capabilities are. Um, you know, you only see role players in the NBA stick when, you know, they are, they at least have the, you know, cognitive ability to know that like, Hey, like, you know, I'm really good at basketball, obviously I'm in the NBA, but I have to be able to, you know, find my role and contribute. Um, you know, not every guy is going to be a superstar, obviously the Luka Doncic is the honest and Teddy Kumpos of the world, of course. And he talked glowingly about how he was, um, just these last year, uh, three years, He's had a, you know, huge maturation process from uh, understanding that defense um, is insanely important, learning how to play around a ball-dominant superstar, of course, you know, with his time with the Greek, uh, Greek national team with Giannis. Um, you know, obviously, this was a guy out of college that didn't really project as the best defensive player. Um, he ever, has a pretty average wingspan. I think it's maybe an inch or two taller, uh, inch or two taller than his actual height is. Um you know, and he also drew criticism from, you know, not being the best playmaker coming out of college. You know, he's just more of a score first guy, but it seems that he's took the steps to, you know, really try to, you know, he is obviously 26. We get that, but, you know, from his answers, at least, you know, I will have to see on the court how this actually um, translates, but just based on his answers, it seems like he really um, understands where he um, had to improve upon his game and he has taken necessary steps to be a better playmaker um, be a better facilitator and um, really try to work on the D defensive end. Um, you know, and obviously like I can't lie. I've not watched every single Olympiacos game to understand if, you know, those points can be proven, nor did I watch every single Greek national Eurobasket game, but, you know, he did look really comfortable facilitating in the few highlights that I did watch from the Greece national uh, team in their Eurobasket affairs. So I'm really 
I think this is, you know, along with Josh Green and Frank Nilekina, this guy is one of those, and even Jaden Hardy, if you want to throw him in there, he's one of those four wild cards that, you know, we just need maybe one or two of these guys to hit for and be in the Mavericks rotation for them to, you know, take um, that next step in terms of being um, a feasible team and just one of them to, you know, be able to handle the ball whatsoever. And could that be Tyler Dorsey? Uh, I mean, I, I could see it, you know. He, at least from what he said, you know, he's worked on his facilitating game a lot. Um, but to add to kind of like this rotational player kind of thing, uh, follow-up actually had a really, really good question. Uh, he listed a number of guys in the league that I guess had played a few years overseas or a few years in the G League. Yeah. Um, and one common trend is, you know, all those guys are really valuable role players in the league. And, you know, they they all had the kind of similar route. You know, they spent yeah. – uh, Patrick Beverly, I believe, was one of them. I know P.J. I don't know if you listed, but I believe PJ Tucker went and played overseas. I think, I think, and I feel like he said Royce O'Neill or something. Royce O'Neill, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are all like really, really good role players that championship level rosters need. And they all had a similar route compared to Tyler Dorsey. And um, you know, he kind of gave a good answer that just knowing the role and you know, playing with guys that are, I guess, all-star level players, you know, you have to know your role and know. When when given the pass, you know, you have to complete the assist. And I, I like that from Tyler Dorsey. No, 100%. I mean, you had a guy like P.J. Tucker. He was out of the league for five years. Um, he played with the Raptors his rookie year. Um, didn't play in the NBA again until 2012 with the Suns. Um, there's a five-year gap from 2007 and 2012. Now he's seen this probably like over the last decade, one of the best 3 and D players in the league, essentially. So, you know, a lot of these guys coming out, they may have the talent necessary. They just don't know how to, you know, fill a hole, um, be that cog to, um, you know, um, I guess sort of capitalize upon what they're already good at and then try to grow and, you know, fill a role because, you know, too many NBA players try to um, do too much. And that's not saying that, you know, you can't be internally motivated or still have your own self goals as an NBA player to, you know, try and be the best. But, you know, if you don't play conducive to, um, what the team's asking you to do that oftentimes why a lot of guys fall out of the league, not even necessarily because of talent. No, I, so, exactly. And, you know, this, this could have been a case with that. Obviously Tyler Dorsey had a brief little stint with the Hawks, but you know, he seems primed and ready and uh, could the Mavericks have found a diamond in the rough here? I guess it remains to be seen, but uh, needless to say, you know, like you said, I said, he's one of these uh, four wild cards between Jaden Hardy, um, Brandon Lakina and Josh Green. So I'm really excited to uh, see how this goes going forward and see how he plays during preseason training camp. Could you, his contract get up to, upgraded from a, a two-way deal that was talked about a little bit. And I think even one reporter asked him if he uh, could fill the Jalen Brunson role. Now, obviously, it's a far fetch, but, you know, could he help fill that role by committee in tandem with some of the other guys like Frank Nilekina, Josh Green? That's definitely feasible. So we'll go ahead and see how that goes. But, um, you know, that being said, you have anything else to go off on um, from those interviews? No, I think I, uh, I think we kind of said everything. Like, with the Jalen Brunson question, you know, just knowing your role is a big thing. Tally Dorsey expressed that quite a bit. So No, most definitely. I'm really excited to see him play here in uh, preseason. Uh, all right, guys. So now we're going to be getting into our player preview segment of this podcast. Um, these are the last five player previews we have. After this, we're completely done, and we're just fully gearing up towards the season. But today, obviously, we're going to do Luca, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Davis Bertans, and Tim Hardaway Jr. So we're going to be going those five guys, hash them out, and then we are full-fledged, um, ready and prime, just covering the 2022-23 season. 
All right, so starting off with Davis Bertans, Jaron, where do you really see Davis's role in this current Mavericks roster heading into the season? Yeah, you know, there's a, a few guys on this roster that I feel like have kind of a clouded role, and that that one of those guys being Davis Bertans. Um, I mean, really, the one valuable thing that he has is he doesn't miss. Uh, he's gonna make a little less than half the threes he takes, and I think that's kind of the reason why he's really a valuable. I don't want to say valuable, but he's he's a really good asset in terms of uh in the NBA right now. Um, but just in terms of fit and overall where I see him on this roster, like um definitely at the bottom of the depth chart. Like I don't really see him getting feasible minutes and consistent minutes, but um you know, like it I think, you know, if you ever need a spark plug, you ever need some shooting, like this this is the guy you probably look to at the end of the bench. Um I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, maybe down by 10 points with a few minutes left. Maybe he goes in there, sparks it up. Um, like, if need be, if there's a lack of shooting, I think that he's kind of the guy that maybe the guys go look go look to uh, if he's open, of course. And, uh, I mean, really, this is a guy that you kind of just stick in a corner and hope he's open. So, But, yeah, I mean, Davis, I will say, exemplified a lot of off-ball movement last year. He's definitely a guy you can get his shot anywhere. Um, which is really key. You know, he provides really good spacing and ability to play with Luca. Uh, to your point about him making a little less than half of his threes, um, obviously, you know, Davis is a really um, insanely good three-point shooter with the Spurs, hence his um, four-year, $64 million contract that he earned with the Wizards. But after that first year with the Wizards where he shot uh, just under 40%, um, Davis obviously has had some, you know, uh, documented negative regression in terms of his three-point shooting. And that is what, you know, tanked his value and, you know, posed him as this negative asset on the Wizards. You know, he did shoot 36% from three with the Mavericks this past season, but albeit that was only in 22 games. Um, so do you think that, you know, this last kind of like season and a half from Davis has just kind of been an obscurity and a product of him playing on a bad Wizards team where there's really not enough creators to get him an open shot? Or do you think that he is actually just not as good of a shooter as he uh, once was in his Spurs days. Uh, I mean, you know, I hope I hope it's just kind of a obsolete few seasons. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of, like, look towards the playoff run. Like, really, that's his valuable minutes as a Maverick. And what did he do in the playoff run? Like, he honestly had a pretty productive um, – a pretty productive run for the Mavericks in the playoffs. And especially, you know, that second-round series in that Western Conference Finals, like, he was really kind of the guy – not not the guy, but he was really kind of one of the guys that, like, I think surprised a lot of people. Uh, and I think, you know, if we can get a touch of that, and, you know, of course, like, the regular season isn't as intense as the playoffs, so we're not going to see these slashing dunks that we saw to Davis. Um, but, you know, like, I, I think if he can kind of rekindle some touch, I, I want to say, like, I, I think – I think he can be a guy that kind of retracts some of that shooting back. You know, if he can get to 40% again on his career, like that would be like that, that, that I think that's the goal here, but I, especially I that, on the volume, like when he's in the game, yeah. he's shooting essentially. And also, you know, I'd want to bring up the point that, you know, it also depends on if, you know, we get like one of these two guys and uh, Josh Green or Frank Nilekina start hitting from three consistently. <clears throat> that makes the Mavericks really hard to guard um, in the second unit because there's just a a lot of guys you have to account for because, you know, you, you see when Davis is out there, he automatically has a target on his head from other teams. They'll run, you know, 
um, mercilessly just to keep up with him, you know, as much, you know, run through two or three screens and, you know, it's comparable to like JJ Reddick or um, Clay Thompson, obviously not saying that he's as good as those guys, but um, you know, he's a guy that, um, you know, finds it difficult to get a shot off. So, you know, just retracting some of that attention off of him, I think that would bode well for him a little bit. Um, and I think that that's the reason like why playing with Maz, for instance, um, you know, versus the Wizards, why he saw his shooting go up a little bit and why we we should expect his shooting to go up a little bit this year. Um, you know, he only played 14 minutes a game in his time with Dallas last year um, in the playoffs, he just a little uh, under 11. So, you know, I would expect it to be, you know, I think Davis has a definite role in this team just for the standpoint, you know, at the his shooting ability, you know, his ability to stay consistent and like his shot looks the same every single time his follow through is consistent. That's why he's able to knock down so many of those four point plays that we've seen from him. Guys are just running, you know, as hard as they can to get to that screen. And then they end up just running into Davis. That's why he's able to, you know, knock some of these threes down. I mean, he has range too. We, we've seen him pull up from, you know, multiple feet beyond the uh, three point line. So I think for him, it's really just a matter of, you know, if the uh, consistency is going to be there, and, um, you know, can he capitalize upon his minutes that he's going to get? I would expect him to get maybe somewhere in like the, you know, maybe like eight minutes, eight eight to ten minutes a game, roughly. I think he has a role in the roster. I'm not saying he's going to play every game, but I think he has a role because, you know, we're, they're going to be games where we need shooting more so than we do others. So I think Davis has a definite role. Um, you know, obviously he's a complete defensive black hole. We understand that, but he, he's a little – uh underrated athletically than I think people would give him credit for. He's not just like some slow footed, you know, tall European white guy. Like he is mobile, you know, hence why he's able to run run so fast around screens and get to spots and everything like that. So I mean he's not some sort of like just complete like albatross um in terms of his athleticism, which I think he gets knocked on uh quite a bit unfortunately. But you know, obviously he's a really bad defender, but there are going to be times where the Mavericks are going to need a shooting. So, you know, I expect him to have a very um, similar role to uh, what he did last year, just maybe slightly less minutes if if that. Yeah, you know, one thing that uh, Coach Kidd has preached is kind of being yourself. You know, Seawood needs to be Seawood. Uh, Spence needs to be Spence. What is what is Davis being Davis? And, you know, I, I think that speaks to his three-point volume and what he's going to shoot. Um, and what he can do in those, like, I think we're pretty much on the same line here where we think that he's probably going to get around eight to 10 minutes a game. Uh, what is he going to do in those eight to 10 minutes? Uh, and, you know, there's always that one trend in his career, and that's his three-point shooting. And I, I think he just needs to be himself, and we'll probably see the percentage and numbers rise. No, 100%. He, he iterated as much in his uh, first uh, training camp presser today, you know, just playing within his role. He knows what he has to do. He's not – a guy who thinks that he is, you know, is something that he's not essentially, he knows exactly what he has to do and he's going to keep capitalizing upon that. So, um, you know, and let, I, this is a guy that maybe could get moved at the trade deadline, you know, just in terms of salary matching aspect, but so long as he's on the Mavs, you know, I'm excited for the uh, Latvian laser minutes we get. So uh, next heading up on to uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, where do you project him going into the season, especially after, uh, coming off that stress fracture in his leg, having missed the whole playoff run in latter half of the regular season last year. Um, what are your thoughts on Tim? Do you think he's going to have 
um, this sort of, you know, Tim's, I guess, a summation of his Dallas Mavericks career, I guess, would be up and down, you know, at the beginning um, when he under the Rick Carlisle regime, of course, you know, Tim came off the bench. He was seen as this like really malproductive shooter who took a lot of like, you know, really dumb, tough threes and mid-range shots. Um, and then in that uh, last season that Rick Carlisle was here, you know, and kind of the season before that as well, you know, Tim just blossomed into this guy who, um, you know, well, obviously not the uh, – he's somewhat of a liability uh, – actually a pretty big liability on defense. Um, you know, this is a guy who just gets buckets, um, sort of like a modern-day Nick Van Exel. And, I mean, uh, to an extent, you know, I'm not comp- comparing him by any means. Um, but, I mean, Tim's just a guy that comes in and fills it up. Um you know, he's able to just – he has a really good pull-up game. He can – he has some blow-bys to the rim. You know, obviously, Tim's not going to be a guy that's still is hating or getting guys the ball in space and um, helping others make plays. But, you know, I mean, he can do that on occasion, but that's definitely not a strong suit of his game. Um, but, you know, for him, it's more so just if the shot's clicking and if, you know, he's playing within himself and if his confidence is there, I think that's a big thing for Tim is if if he's confident, he looks really good. And, you know, he'll just rat off threes and – uh, mid-range jump shots and like post fadeaways and just not miss but when he gets in a slump it gets really bad so um, Tim obviously had a rougher start to the uh, season you know he only played in 43 uh, 42 games uh, this year and shot a um, he shot a brisk 33.6 uh, from three contrary to the two years prior where in which he shot 40 uh, percent in both of those markers were the highest of his career do you think that this past start to the season before Tim got hurt was an outlier? Um, or do you think that those uh, last two seasons under Rick Carlisle were an outlier from the perspective that he was shooting so good from three? And do you think that the Mavericks spacing that they have right now and the, uh, the, the way that they've started playing within this Jason Kidd regime, do you think that that's something Tim's going to be able to adapt to? Or do you think he's going to be subject to um, sort of that non-adaptability in terms of it not voting well for his shot like it did? at the beginning of last year yeah so i mean i think that the clear outlier here is a is a start to the season last season you know it was definitely underwhelming uh in the sense that he he just flat out played pretty badly uh one thing that's kind of intriguing to me is you know he's i believe this is his first like major career kind of injury where he kind of ended his season um i'm not sure i think that's correct uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see how he bounced back. You know, it seems like the coaching staff seems like the guys, they all think he's a hundred percent back. Um, and so in that sense, you know, bringing him off the bench, he's kind of like that spark plug kind of guy for your bench. He's going to be that score when Luca's not in the game or when Spencer's not in the game, he's going to be kind of that guy. And um, I, I think, I think the, like I mentioned, you know, I think that last season, that beginning, or I guess the first 42 games that he played in, I think that those are going to be kind of the outlier. I think we're going to see numbers improve this year. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, I I think that he'll definitely be kind of relied upon, maybe not as much so as he was last year or the year prior. Um, But I think coming off the bench, this is probably your number one scoring option. And uh, I guess Christian Wood. Oh, okay. I I guess guess you have like Christian Wood. But, um, you know, I think that once everything hopefully settles out and maybe Christian Wood's in the starting lineup, this is for sure your number uh, number one scorer off the bench. So, you know, I think everything's going to kind of like fizzle out in the sense that, you know, like a lot of this talk right now is if, 
you know, if t- if Tim can uh, rekindle what he did in that playoff run. And um, I-, I think I think it's all going to kind of I think it's all just going to kind of bounce back. I think uh, I think himself, I think he's going to bounce back. And I'm honestly kind of excited to see what he can do. Uh, I think that there's kind of a sense that it's like you're, you're kind of a little hesitant because, I mean, it is a pretty big injury and uh, he's only played a handful of games for Jason Kidd. But then again, we didn't know what Jason Kidd was at the time, and now we know. And uh, he seems to be fully bought in, and uh, the, this unit seems to, like, really, really enjoy his presence here. You know, he's definitely, I, I guess, like, he, he was kind of that chemistry guy off the bench. One of the longest tenured Mavericks now. Yeah, just kind of like four or five years. Um, four, I guess, because he was trading midseason. So. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and you know, I also want to make a point that it's good that they didn't rush him back from his injury. You know, there's talk about him potentially coming back in those Western Conference finals or potentially final series that the Mavericks made it that far. So I think that that definitely bodes well for him. He's had a full healthy offseason to rest up and you know, shoot, uh, and uh, train in those Miami gyms, um, go to the bars afterwards, um, have a good time. Uh, you know, if you listen to the Locked on Mavericks interviews. They said Tim was um, a lot of the players said Tim, like if because they basically posed a question if you had to um, watch one of your teammates' uh, life on reality TV, who would it be? And I feel like most of the guys said Tim because of the uh, sort of like bougie Miami aura he has going on there. He, he runs it up, um, but no, Tim's a really good guy. Really liked by his teammates. Um, I know my hesitancy definitely lies in the fact that he had never shot, you know, really above that, like 36, 35% from three marker in his career, barring those last two seasons from Dallas. But, you know, we saw him, you know, kind of hit his prime, hit his stride and become a player that we'd never seen. Um, You know, obviously Jason Kidd's, you know, offensive style differs a bit from Rick Carlisle's where, you know, Rick Carlisle's, I feel like was definitely more uh, Luca centric. Uh, I think Jason Kidd's offense, um, you know, bodes for more um, touches from other guys to an extent. Um, You know, this is without any sort of deep analysis, of course, um, just keen observations. But, you know, Jason Kidd um, definitely, you know, has been very adamant upon upon trying to have two playmakers in the game at all times, you know, even under the current construct of the Mavericks roster. So, you know, maybe – um, I think a lot of assumptions Mavericks fans would have from last year is that Tim was maybe asked to do too much in terms of burdening some of the uh, playmaking load and things of that nature. So, you know, if Tim can just kind of get back and uh, succinct into that role that he was under Rick Carlisle um, or just knowing his role, I think that's the hugest thing for him in terms of how he's going to be able to play um, here in this upcoming season. Um, and that's not to say that he can't play within that role um, on Jason Kidd's uh, Dallas Mavericks versus Rick Carlisle's Dallas Mavericks is just, um, you know, maybe not being extended as much um, freedom in terms of the the uh, decisions he has to make. If he, he's a guy who kind of needs that, you know, confinability and, uh, you know, that structure to be able to uh, thrive, um, you know, within a system, in my humble opinion. Um, so we'll see how that uh, evolves with the coaching staff and how Tim plays this year. But, Needless to say, I'm excited to see him coming back off of injury. Obviously, there was countless discussions of him being included in trades and things of that nature. But, you know, I think his value has to, you know, match his contract before that is even a talk. So 
let's see how Tim does, and I'm excited for his uh, season. Yeah, no, I, uh, I like what you said about his contract. Yeah, like we're going to have to see what he can do, and then um, we'll see if he becomes a feasible trade asset. Yeah, no, most definitely. So uh, next up here, getting into Spencer Dinwiddie. Jaron, this is a guy that came in on fire, um, I guess, against most projections of Mavericks fans. I don't think anybody really had high projections from, you know, given his, um, I guess what most would say, atrocious start to the season for the Wizards. But, of course, you know, he's coming off a ACL tear. So, you know, there is some sort of excusable factor there, I would say. Um, and then he has this, you know, 23-game stretch with the Mavericks to end the season where he hits two-game winners, is, you know, shooting – a career high, uh, 40% from three, um, you know, averaging uh, about 16 points a game, um, you know, just being this third playmaker off the bench that the Mavericks sorely needed and was essential to getting the Mavericks in the playoffs. Now in the playoffs, of course, Spencer was really up and down. He had his, you know, really good moments where it seemed like he just couldn't miss from three at times, especially in that Phoenix series. But then, you know, especially I remember in the beginning of the Phoenix series and the Golden State series, him having some, you know, uh, just complete duds in terms of games where, you know, he wasn't being assertive or aggressive at all. Um, you know, this guy's obviously going to be asked to carry a bigger burden with Brunson having left. Um, so where do you see Spencer um, sort of projecting in this 2022-23 season? Yeah, you know, the big question I feel like everybody's asking Spencer is how are you going to retain or how are you going to be the Jalen Brunson of this team? Um, you know, I, I, I think that there's a simple answer. I don't think he can cover what Jalen Brunson did, but that's not to say that, you know, Jalen Brunson is like, I, I just think that, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's a different player, of course. Uh, he does different things. And honestly, I, I I don't know what the stat number is quite, but I know that whenever Spencer and Luca were on the floor together, there was some crazy stat where they had like some crazy. There maybe uh, like points per possession was higher. Yeah. No, their points per, it was, it was a lot higher than like any duo on the Mavericks. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, Spencer coming in, he's probably going to, he's going to be that second ball handler. Um, he's going to be relied upon to kind of take some of that stress off of Luca and the starting lineup and probably off the bench a little bit or not off the bench, but um, for some of these bench guys a little bit, uh, we're going to kind of see his playmaking. I think that's, or facilitating. I don't really think that's something we saw a whole lot of last year because Luca and JB were kind of dominating um, really all playoffs and everything. Um, so I think we're going to see kind of a different Spencer. You know, we've got a full off season, of course, um, and not just rehabbing is of course rehabbing, but not, not just rehabbing, you know, he's also playing five on five basketball, doing all this. And according to him, you know, he doesn't even feel his ACL. It's fine. Um, so I'm excited to see this, uh, see what he can do. I think, honestly, we might get one of the best seasons out of Spencer. I believe his best season, uh, I want to say he averaged like 18. I think 20 points per game with the Nets. 20, um, yeah. Let me check it here. So, yeah, he averaged 20.6 points per game in that 2019-20 season where we had the uh, D'Angelo Russell Nets, I believe yeah. that was, that uh, pine for the playoff team. Theo Penson was on there, obviously, with Spencer, and then the fun, bet, fun bench mob with – now Mavericks assistant coach Jared Dudley. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I think a big thing for Spencer um, is just going to be, uh, I think at times, like, we would see, like, pathways for him to be, you know, potentially be able to drive or be assertive where he just didn't even, you know, choose to capitalize upon them at times last year. 
you know, and he was shooting really good though. Um, so that always helps, of course. Um, so I guess my question to you is, do you think now he's had a full healthy off season, do you think we're going to see, um, well, I guess two questions. Do you think that we're going to see a more assertive, explosive, and, you know, a guy who's able to distribute in the lane, Spencer, who's going to take more of these opportunities that the burdens placed more upon him and that, you know, he seems to, he probably has a lot more confidence in his knee, uh, given he's at a fully healthy off season. Um, and also, do you think that we may see some negative regression from the uh, his three-point shooting, given that, you know, it does seem like kind of an outlier, his shooting in Dallas. You know, he did reference, because when he was asked upon this at um, Media Day, he said that, you know, he attributes it to the amount of spacing and open looks that he gets with playing with Luka, um, but, you know, and being with other ball handlers on the floor. But, you know, now that JB's gone, um, do you think, you know, he's never really been a better shooter and he didn't, his answer didn't provide that he had like done some magical thing to fix his shot or anything. I'm not saying he has a bad shot, you know, he's a career average, like I guess, um, 32.2% three point shooter, but you know, and from his, um, he shot 10% in the second season in Detroit, Detroit. No. Oh, yeah. So it seems like it was very limited games, but yeah, I mean, obviously he's not been a great three point shooter, uh, by any means, but he at least seems like he kind of, um, came to the average in his latter years with Brooklyn, um, so what are your thoughts on, um, I guess both of those questions? Yeah. Um, you know, I think kind of this three point percentage, I honestly see him kind of retaining a lot of that, uh, you know, Luca at the end of the day is still on the court. He's still going to be the ball dominant kind of guy between these two guys. So you're still going to get those open shots to Spencer. Um, and also, you know, in terms of facilitating, like this guy's facilitating game, I think is going to improve greatly. Uh, I mean, you're surrounding him with shooters and you're surrounding him with JaVale McGee at the, that's what it looks to be. Um, and you and know, Christian Wood. And Christian Wood. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of guys on this team, I feel like can shoot and make an open jumper um, in a corner three situation or whatever it may be. I feel like a lot of these guys, you know, you're, you're putting your trust in them. And I think that that you, you don't have to be nervous in that sense. So um, I think that we're going to see a lot of good numbers come from Spencer uh, and then what was your first question? Was it uh, with his knee confidence and everything? Yeah, it's just a, his uh, – um, how, how do you think his assertiveness and aggressiveness in terms of driving, getting into the lane and, um, you know, finding bigs and finding guys in the corner and just getting to the rim in general and being willing to put his body in the line on occasion is going to change now that he's at a full uh, healthy and confident offseason with the uh, – coming off the ACL injury? Yeah, you know, I think we, we can attribute some of that to um, – I guess some of that confidence, like we saw some of it in the playoffs. I mean, I think he was very uh, laxed in the sense that, you know, like we saw some stupid shots taken from him in the playoffs. Where he could have got to the rim. Yeah, got to yeah. the rim, yeah. But the the drives that he did get to the rim, and I feel like he figured out more later in the later as the playoffs went, um, you know, you can drive. And he, he drove, to the, drove to the hoop very, uh, I guess, common. Uh, I, not, maybe not common, but I, I, more often than not, in that Golden State series, and I think we're going to see more of that uh, from Spencer regularly than we would, um, I, I really think, any other se- or any other season post-ACL. Yeah, no, I mean, he's obviously going to be asked to distribute more as well. You know, um, he averaged almost seven assists in his last year at Brooklyn, and I, I could honestly see him getting close to that here, um, potentially even having a, a career year in scoring, maybe or pushing that 20-point marker at least. Um, just given that he's going to be asked to expend a lot of the load here. I mean, but, you know, if you remember 
before his ACL injury, you know, or I guess even, or I guess this was after he tore the uh, ACL, of course, but, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie was a prime free agent on the market, you know, just given like this guy was an up and coming, um, you know, just dream secondary ball handler for anybody. So, you know, he's six, six, um, you know, Spencer's obviously not a really good defender by any means, but I, you know, he's probably average. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Um, so um, he's got his size. You can play making any team sorely needs that. And to have like two big playmakers like that, it's going to be really good for the Mavericks, especially if they can find that third guy off the bench. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to see how the season goes. You know, I don't know if he'll shoot 40% from three again with the Mavericks, but I could definitely see him hopefully at least, you know, even if he just a tiny regression, maybe I could see him regressing only to maybe 36, 37% from three, but, you know, given more volume, given um, what he's going to be asked to do, uh, being a lot more this year, I think that would be, uh, you know, great for Spencer if he could at least just shoot around 36% from three. Uh, yeah, completely agree. All right, Jaron. So uh, getting into Dorian Finney-Smith here. Um, this is the the Iron Man of the Mavericks, even the Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie coined himself as the Iron Man on media day. But the, Dorian Finney-Smith is a real Iron Man for the uh, Mavericks. Has been here since the 2016-17 uh, season, of course. Um, played 80 games last year. Started started all those games. Um, Dorian shot a career best 39.5 percent from three last year. Um, starting out at 29.3 percent um, from three his rookie season. Averaged a career high 11 points per game. Um, this is a guy that um, you know a tenacious rebounder and defender, of course. Um, Probably a, uh, you know, I think we'd comfortably say he might be top 15, maybe even top 10, 3 and D wing in the league. Yeah. If we're, you know, well, you know, if we're taking the all-stars into account, you're taking like Jalen Brown. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, but those are more so like playmaking. I mean, those are all-around wings. Uh, if we're talking strictly 3 and D wings. 3 like role like player. Role player I, like top 10. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so this, you know, this is a guy that some may argue is the second best player for the Mavericks. Um, there's an argument to be made there. Um, so I guess my questions, you know, I think, you know, Dorian just got this contract extension, of course. He's only going to – he's actually only going to be 29 uh, this year. I thought he was going to be a little older for some reason. Um, how do you see Dorian fitting into this current roster? You know, obviously, I don't really expect much to change. I think we're just – he's in the prime of his career. Um, he's developed up until this point. I think Dorian kind of is what he is. We could both agree on that. We yeah. don't know how much he's going to – add on to his game, but he's going to, you know, be this tenacious, um, you know, three and D wing um, who can guard, you know, basically two through even five at times. Um, really good. And, you know, obviously provide Luca a kick out option. I think his shooting is only going to get, um, you know, I wouldn't say better because, you know, he's obviously shot a really good percentage from three, but I think Dorian, um, isn't as much of a rhythm shooter, maybe. I think it's going to be more consistent in terms of, you know, he, he may not have, like, as much over eight games or things like that, just from the standpoint that I think that we're going to be seeing a Dorian that, um, you know, he's had a couple – he's had basically two 40% three-point shooting seasons in a row now. I think that, you know, he definitely probably thinks within himself that he's a really good shooter. Um, so I don't know if we're going to be, you know, I think he at least, like, you know, we'll hit at least a couple of game, even if he's on a bad shooting night, for instance. Um, so, I guess, do you think Dorian's going to be adding on anything to his game here? And um, how do you think his 
um, role is with this current Mavericks team? Yeah, you know, I think pretty much everything that everything what we saw last year, I think you can just pretty much copy and paste and we'll see it this year. Uh, maybe a little improvement on the consistency of shooting and everything like that. But really, I mean, everything this guy does, he does that like full 100% uh, putting his heart into. So, you know, this is kind of like that workhorse kind of guy on this team. And uh, it, it, it you see it in the stats, but you also see it off the, like off the stats, the things that this guy does. Um, I guess you can kind of say he doesn't, he doesn't do the pretty work. Um, you know, he's kind of the guy that you rely upon for, I guess, really just doing everything right. Um, you know, really ever since he came into the league, he's always done that. He's always been the guy to kind of just rely heavy upon on doing everything right and, you know, not really getting noticed. I think this is the first time in his career that he's really ever gotten noticed. Um, but in terms of this year, you know, he's definitely our first option at that 3 and D kind of wing position. Uh, definitely and, the best. De- definitely the best. Out of, out of Reggie. All right, like really only yeah. two, but yeah, <laughs> like out of I guess well, that are Reggie, there's only two that are like in contending. Like obviously, yeah. you can label Frank and Josh Green as three and D wings to a T, to an extent. Um, but you know, at Reggie's the only guy who even kind of sniffs Dorian's territory, and Dorian kind of blows him out of the water, even. Yeah. So, um, the you know, obviously it was mentioned on media day. It seems like everybody's now becoming a ball handler. But um, do you see you know, just maybe a little bit. You know, Dorian seems like he's been around this Mavericks team for a really long time. He's getting to that age where, you know, I feel like he's a lot more comfortable, you know, given this, these are his prime years, you know, his probably his peak athleticism, um, you know, his NBA career throughout these, you know, this year and maybe these last couple of years. Do you see um, any sort of, you know, creation slash playmaking ability from Dorian being showcased this year? Maybe in a, an albeit maybe a minimalistic um, role. Um, yeah, you know, I think I, I honestly do think like if we're going to see improvements anywhere, it's going to be on that side of things. Um, I think we're going to see him, you know, just by really committee. I think we're going to see him bring the ball up a lot more. Uh, he's I, I think that this is probably the guy that you leave out the longest in that starting rotation, uh, maybe Luca over him. But I think that this is the kind of guy that while Spencer and Luca are off the floor, like he's probably going to be on the floor and uh, they're probably going to be looking to him to probably bring that ball up. And, um, you in know, the, that, in those rare instances that both Spencer yeah, and Luca are. Yeah. Rare instances. But um, I mean, obviously that's going to be conducive to it. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that, that um, he's going to be the guy that they look to, to bring up. He's the ball. not going to be the guy. I, I just, but I mean, I think that Dorian, you know, you give him the ball at the wing, maybe he can make something happen just make on some straight down lot straight uh line drives some um you know maybe like a single dribble move type deal uh, i just don't know if he's going to be like initiating offense per se but i could could he serve to you know maybe create a little bit uh a couple shots for him you know i wouldn't definitely not in the mid-range but just getting to the rim a little bit more I think he could do that. He's already a really good cutter, but I think Dorian might be able to attack a little more this year. I think that that some uh on a development that we might see, but I would be shocked if he was actually like initiating offense and was playmaking. That would be a you know, obviously a huge addition. But I, I just don't see that happening. But no, like yeah, I guess just kind of like adding on to that. Like I think he's just kind of bringing the ball up. Like 
I really don't know, other than Spencer and Luca, like there's not another facilitator, a true facilitator on this team. And uh, I think that there will be a few possessions where he's probably going to have to maybe be that kind of guy, like the rare instances. Um, but I think whenever Frank is on the court, and it sounds like Frank is going to be on the I mean, court. I, I'm more confident with probably Frank handling the ball. But than yeah, I'm more confident. Yeah. yeah but, I, you know, we've seen it. We saw it a little bit last year um, with him kind of handling the ball. Uh, I think we'll see it a little more this year. But I'm not saying by any means is he going to be that third ball handler. I think there's probably going to be like the whole roster is going to be that yeah. quote unquote third ball handler. But I think probably the best option out of that is Frank. Yeah. I hate saying that, but it is what it is. Are. Yeah, so. exactly. And my last question for you on Dorian, um, and this is obviously a question we have with Reggie is too, oh, with Reggie too. Um, do you think that the minutes that these two guys and Dorian and Reggie are going to log are going to catch up to them at the end of the season when, the playoffs roll around. Do you think there's any way the Mavs can work to manage that given the current roster? Or do you think that, you know, they'll have to maybe find another three and D wing or get one of their current guys to hit to alleviate some of this pressure that these guys have to play, you know, 30 to 35 minutes in the regular season every night, uh, basically. And then, you know, 40 plus minutes in playoff games. Um, if the Mavericks start to make another run. Jay Crowder. I'm oh, just kidding. Um, no, for real though, I think, uh, I, I honestly don't really think, They'll be playing – I think that they'll probably be touching that 30-minute mark per game. Uh, but just because it's really? the regular season, I think I, – I honestly think that the, both of them will still stick around that 30 – or 33, 30 to 35-minute mark like, per game. I, do, I just don't – maybe like I think that, you know, whenever you're playing the good teams, which is, seems like every team in the league now. Well, yeah, but if you're evening it out, you know, in those games that they have to play 37 – because we saw later in the season when the Mavericks basically had to shrink the rotation to start winning – um, these guys were winning, you know, playing 37, 38. I, you know, obviously I would favor a more consistent, maybe 32 to 34 minutes a game, but I, I definitely say like both him and Reggie are probably going to play about 30 minutes a game. Yeah. Like, I mean, I hate to say this, but like this really just kind of depends on what Josh Green can be. Uh, in terms so of long as if the Mavericks don't do anything in terms of getting another wing. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not getting another wing. Um, like I see the argument there. It's just like, I just don't see that every game. I think maybe in terms of average, I could see that. Um, but I just feel like, you know, that 30-minute mark, I think that they'll for sure be touching. But because it's the regular season, you can kind of expand your um, your roster a little bit in rotation. Um, but I guess, like, well, like, what was it? Like, how are they going to take the load off of Dorian Reggie? Was that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean – like really, the only answer is kind of banking on Josh Green and that in, in the the wing sense. I think that Frank, you can kind of. I think Frank's projecting more as a guard. Yeah, here. guard right now on this roster. Yeah, just what by the way they have to play. You know, Frank at least came into the NBA as a point guard, so you know, I think I'm more comfortable with him handling the ball than I am Josh Green. But that remains to be seen. How you know we saw Josh Green stellar and won at practice today. Yeah, that was actually kind of nice. No, it was. So we'll kind of have to see. I mean, we're, I'm excited to see how these guys look. Josh Green obviously seems like he's a really good offseason. We haven't heard too much from Frank. So, you know, we'll see how these guys play and um, if they're able to take off some of that pressure um, from Reggie and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. So lastly, saving the best for last on the player previews, we got LD77, The Matador, Luka Doncic, Jaron. Um, elaborate upon well, I mean, I think we know yeah, Lucas' role. Like, really know you know, I don't know if this is really going to be long or short. Uh, <laughs> it's, I guess, my 
um, question. Obviously, we know. I don't. I don't think that you know this deserves, you know, too much no, of I mean, a, a segment. We know what Luke is going to do. I mean, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you know what Luke is going to come in and do next season. You know, he's obviously going to be the primary uh, ball handler and shot creator, best player on the Mavericks, um, offensive, you know, all around superstar. I think the the real question is if we're you know just looking at projections for the 2022-23 season, um, how does Luca get off to a better start? Um, you know he looks in really good shape right now, especially coming off of that Eurobasket. You know there are some questions. Oh, you know he did hurt his ankle at the end of a Eurobasket. He's dealing with maybe some wrist things at some points, um, but even after a stellar stellar Eurobasket, including a 47 point uh, game against France and or it might have been 48. Forty nine. Yeah, no, I think it was forty seven. Uh, needless to say, yeah, but it was the second highest scoring game in or single game uh, performance in Eurobasket history. Um, this is a guy who's been going out all off season. Seems healthy and ready for training camp after, you know, taking taking it back um, just for one day. Just uh, you know, I guess airing on the side of caution with the coaching staff and Casey Smith. They, and Jason Kidd, you know, came out and said Luke would go a little lighter on the first day of training camp, but. In a second day of training camp, and he's playing full five on five scrimmages the whole time. Um, obviously, you know, Lucas um, averages last year 28.4 points per game, 8.7 assists point, uh, per game, 8.3 rebounds per game. Um, he shot, let's see, um, he shot 35.3% from three, which was a career high at 40, base 46% uh, percent from the field. It's kind of around his median average for his career. And he um, shot 74% from the yeah, free throw line, which honestly was a uh, career high. Uh, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a career high, but it was definitely one of his better fairings from the line. It was second best fairing. Um, and this is year five for Luca, which actually seems kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it and, crazy. And, and yeah, you know, it seems like he was just a rookie the other day. But anyhow, I guess my question for you, Jaron, is how do you – like what does Luca need to do to get off to this – um, better start to the season that he has, and uh, I guess maybe the uh, last two years more comparable to that 2019-20 season where um, his explosiveness seemed a lot better, um, but also still retain the um, sort of you know higher, um, I guess just you know just better shooting percentage from three, and um, sort of the uh, mental. Uh, aspect of the game that he seems that he's even got better at somehow in the mid-range jump shot uh jump shots and all that sort of stuff the post moves everything how does he balance that with also being able to be a little more aggressive and assertive to start the season you know given that he's probably in the best shape that he's been in in two years and um what does he have to do to make a run at mvp uh well I guess what he has to do to make a run at MVP, I think it's uh, pretty obvious that by the end of the season, Luka Doncic will probably be the best player post-All-Star break. Um, so I guess just kind of what he has to do is just start strong. I think that if you're trying to put up a Luka Doncic MVP candidate type season, I think that this is what you got to do. Uh, he's been playing Eurobasket all, sum- all summer. Been seemed like he's working out all summer. This is kind of like his first two weeks off, and then training camp starts right back up. And we're now two, three days in. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that this is kind of like the perfect offseason in the sense of uh, you want to start the season out strong. I think that this is kind of the offseason that you want if you're Luca. Uh, I, I, I feel like, I mean, of course, it's going to be an adjustment period. 
there is a, to any NBA player, like there's that awkward five, 10 games where everybody's just kind of getting on their feet. But, you know, for Luca, I think eliminating the 25, 30 game stretch that he's always had uh, in his career where he starts out slow. Like I think no, that's gonna, maybe barring the 2019, 20 season. Yeah. Like, I think that was like the one season where um, it was really just balls to the wall the whole entire season. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see similar to that. Uh, and uh, the thing is, is Luca's added so much since then and it's three years later. And I, now, from a non-athletic perspective, yeah. and we could probably argue that he was more athletic and explosive that season. I mean, it's not like he's gotten older. He's just, you know, he's, you know, COVID, you know, uh, the, the Olympics, you know, he's not came into camp in the best shape in uh last two years prior. And he said to play into shape by the end of the season, which he always ends up doing, but can he come into the, um, I wouldn't say peak physical fitness, but you know, as, as good a physical fitness as he can at the current moment at the beginning of the uh, camp this year, seems like he is. And that's going to be huge for him, obviously to, you know, go for that MVP campaign. Um, do you think that, we could potentially see some even increased stats from an assist perspective and a points per game perspective um, from Luca this year. Now that the Mavericks really only have Spencer Dinwiddie as the only other true playmaker on this roster. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see some improvements. Just be simply for the fact that like his usage rate might go was, up again. Yeah, like it, I think it was the mm-hmm. highest in his career last year. Was it actually? I may, I'm actually not sure, but I know I think it was one of the highest in the NBA. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that go up even more. Um, and not to say that it's a bad thing. I, mean, I guess it's a bad thing from a Mavericks perspective, but for him, like, that's not a bad thing at all. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll see improvements on the stat line. Uh, I think, like, I think we'll see improvements in the sense that, you know, he's going to get off to a better start. So I wouldn't be surprised to see – a dramatic rise in points per game. And that says a lot because I think he averaged 28 last year. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think in any categorical sense, I think that he might improve, yeah. even if it's just the slightest. I mean, yeah, Luca boasted a 37.3% usage rate last year, which was um, I think the year prior, it was like 37.4. So, I mean, obviously this is a guy that's depended on heavily in every single Mavericks year, you know, I don't know if that's really going to change until the Mavericks really get like a second superstar when we actually see that go down. But I will say, I don't even know if it is usage rates going to go up because he's already getting used so much as much as, you know, just the scoring and the, um, you know, maybe this the individual, um, you know, increased uh, sense of urgency from him and, you know, coming into camp in the best shape, you know, that I think is what might really boast the uh, points per game up. Um and the um, assist per game up just from the standpoint that he's not really having to share the court and uh, making those free throws. You know, he struggled with free throws to an extent in Eurobasket. Let's see. Um, can Luca shoot above 75% from free throws this year? Just yes or no, just guess. Um, I have to. Well, okay. If he wants to make an MVP run, yes. Yes. Uh, but, and I, I'm going to say yes. So. All right. I think this is finally the year that Luca. 75.1. That's what I'm going to say. You know. Luca just needs to continue getting better, you know. 35% from three is really good, you know, given the types of threes he takes. Types of threes and how many threes. Yeah, so if he can rekindle that, that would be amazing. It's just more so we already know he's a really good shooter. Um, It's just let's see if he can rekindle – um, not rekindle, but just, you know, get a little bit better marginally um, every single year at free throw to maybe one day he's an above 80% th- uh, free throw shooter because that would 
uh, you know, even though it's a small percentage, like from 74, for instance, uh, that would do leaps and bounds for his game. And, you know, with the amount of foul calls he already gets, um, you know, don't get me started on uh, is would Luca be better if he didn't complain to the refs as much? Like we already know all this, you know, and Luca, you know, being a step quicker on defense is going to help him this year yeah, for that MVP run campaign because, you know, if he can, you know, he had, he's had decent defensive stretches just in terms of he really knows how to use his body. He's really an intellectual defender, even if he's, you know, obviously his athleticism um, doesn't really do justice for him at all. And he gets blown past sometimes. So I would say Lucas, maybe, a, I, I wouldn't say about average, but he's definitely an average defender. I don't think he's the, you know, when he came into the league, I'd say he's probably a, probably a minus uh, less, defender, Yeah. but you know, he's definitely grown into an, uh, at least an average defender. And, you know, if he can continue to improve upon that narrative, maybe be a slightly above average defender this year, then he's a little quicker. That's going to help his MVP narrative. Um, so, you know, those are all things that can contribute. Um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, obviously Luke is going to have a great year regardless, but can he take yet another step is the real question. Yeah. Uh, I guess kind of one thing on the defensive side of thing, like really nobody's talking about, uh, about like improvements on defense. We, we, really haven't even mentioned it um like this is a full off season under jason kidd and what we know from jason kidd and you know last year i mean he was I mean, always... he was in Eurobasket a lot of the off season no i well but just understand the concept like, and yeah a full being in better camp. and being in better shape yeah yeah and being in way better shape uh like i just think jason kidd now has like this identity figured out fully of what he wants from this nba team and uh i think buying in from luca i think is a given but Buying in on the defensive side of things, I think that we might see improvements dramatically. Uh, and I think that that could possibly be feasible for him being a hopefully above average defender. Yes. No, 100%. I mean, Luca's only going to be 24 next. I mean, he turns 24 during the season. Yeah. Um, it's absurd. I mean, we, you know, we see him as this generational superstar, but you know, I still tend to forget how young he is a yeah. lot of the time. <laughs> um, all right, so you know we've obviously this is our last player preview. It's been a, it's been a great, it's been a great run. It's been a great week long run. Yes, and we're gonna we're gonna keep turning up pause. We go into media day. Obviously now we're focused and dialed in towards the season. Now that we have all these player previews. Yeah, I guess we're like full gear now. Oh the, yeah, it's exciting. That's, yeah. But uh, as our lasting, um, our sort of a last ditch. Um, I don't know, like, not last ditch effort, but our sort of um, lasting words to uh, end the podcast. I want us, um, I want you specifically actually to predict Lucas stat line um, and just tell me his stat line points, um, assists, rebounds um, per game this year and what he shoots from three and the uh, free throw line. And then you just simple yes or no question. You're going to answer if he's going to win MVP or not. Okay. Okay. All right. And um, no elaboration upon any of this. You just answer it. Okay. 30 are we doing like 31 point or just doing 31 like oh points per game okay 31 points per game um i'm gonna say nine assists nine i'm gonna say eight rebounds uh are we doing christian wood and javel are gonna come yeah, in this one I, I think that javel's yeah. gonna pick up on the rebounding yeah um what else do I have left to answer uh free throw percentage free, and three okay. point percentage I'm, I'm still gonna stick with my 75 Point one, uh-huh. um, and then for three point percentage, I'll go with 
35. I, I think he reaches 36. I oh, so. wow. I think he hits 36. If he could do that, I mean, that would be even huge, just given, like, I don't really expect him, like, much more from, like, the, the, just because of the degree of difficulty on his threes. Like, if he ever hit, like, 37, 38% from three That'd on the line, oh, yeah, you might as well shut it down. Let's go home. <laughs> Anyhow. We will catch you guys. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, I have, I have one has, more question. I have one more. Or, uh, answer, I guess. Oh, man. Is he going to win MVP? Um, no, let me answer that. Actually, should I? Well, I know my answer. All right. What, what's your answer? Uh, for sure, without a doubt. And without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to end it right there. We will catch you guys on the next one. It is mainstream underscore optimist Mavs. And we will Tonight. see you guys in the next one. Peace. Bye-bye.